Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off-the-shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs' Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a CTO with a very meandering journey, just like mine. Lots of nice key takeaways from our guest, Richard Billington. In particular, he tells us about the work he has done and is doing in the low-code, no-code arena. And the huge benefits that this can bring to organisations, marrying the subject matter experts closer to creating the solutions needed without the need for heavy understanding of technology. Anyway, let's not delay. Let's get Richard into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. So, Richard, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you very much. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for? Uh, so my name is Richard Billington. I'm the CTO of an organisation called Netcall. Uh, and we have uh, a platform called Liberty that includes both an intelligent automation suite that comprises of a low-code platform, RPA with AI, and then an omni-channel messaging platform that includes contact center and telephony services, along with messaging via all of your social channels. That's excellent, Richard. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what your organization does, Netcall does. But first, I'm really interested in about your journey to tech leadership. What was that like? So I'd be lying if I said I, I set out to be a CTO all those right. years ago. Um, now, my background is technical. Now, that's not always the case with CTOs. Uh, people approach it from different angles. Um, I started as a developer and actually it would be fair to say I fell into that so I, I joined an organization initially um, installing telephony uh, and networking cabling um, in fact I, I don't know if you recall an organization called Ionica that would be dishes yes, on people's yes, houses yes. For, oh, yeah, uh, I remember them so, so yeah we actually I, I worked for an organization that wired um, the Ionica building up that sort of got me into computer networking computer networking I, I fell into sort of system administration. So uh, an organization where I was responsible for uh, networking, networking points, making sure that the computers had enough RAM and, and so on. This was around 2000. So we did all the Y2K updates wow. on everyone's computers and that to make sure they weren't going to crash. Mm. And um, the organization I was working for at the time um, decided that they wanted an intranet because it was a, a big, hot new thing. Um, and I put my hand up and said, I'd be interested in working out how we could deploy an intranet within the business. Mm. And um, and they got me involved in a bit of ASP programming. So this wasn't even ASP.net, obviously, at that point, it's no ASP. And um, I built a little intranet that the company sort of uploaded all their policies and documents and so on. Cool. And, um, and that sort of sparked really an interest in web development. So I wanted to solidify that. Um, they weren't a software business. Um, and therefore, I started to look around, found an organization that was through software development, joined them. Um, we built uh, a platform at that organization that allowed organizations to take payments over the internet, right. uh, which again, at that point was new, you know, uh, websites, e-commerce websites really have their own digital certificates and things like that. At that point, it was, mm. it was very much a case you used a third party platform like ours to, to take payment on the internet. And um, that, that went really well. We sort of grew that business and were ultimately acquired and went of acquisition. 
I left, um, took on a, a, a head of uh, development role at uh, an organization called Matsoft that at that point there was only three of us. So it was very much a new idea that had been spun out of a digital agency. And they had a number of banks that were um, doing uh, process management applications and we were deploying the code base every time at that point and we realized that actually this this, this should really be a platform that an organization used to manage any number of processes and we pivoted at that point and uh, built a platform went from three to about 70 of us and were acquired by wow. Netcore four years ago um, and at that point Netcore really acquired us to bring in that sort of low code case management element to the Liberty platform to, to, to coexist with all of their telephony and messaging capabilities. And when you bring all of that together, you've got everything you need to deliver customer experience based solutions. And that's obviously what most organizations at the moment need to do. How can they provide a digital customer experience that really delights their customers? Yeah, I love that. One of our previous guests kind of resonates with is your brand is your experience. It's not about just colors and, and shapes and logos. It's actually about your experience of using that brand. I totally agree. I mean, what, what's the, the one thing your customers, patients, citizens, whoever it might be, whoever has to interact with, mm. it's the one thing they remember, isn't it? Is how you dealt with them, how they had to interact with you, regardless of what the process is. The process might be buying something from them. It might be provisioning a mortgage. You know, it could be anything. But how how that experience is delivered to it will ultimately determine whether you retain them long term. Yes, brilliant. And um, your journey does seem very meandering. I mean, was it kind of you seeing the opportunities as you kind of came to them? Yeah, to, to some extent. You know, I uh, I was sort of straight out of college at the point I joined the organisation where we were doing uh, the, the networking and moved into being a being a system administrator. And I suppose at that point, you know, web development really was easy as well. So I, I had no grand plan um, to become a web developer and then to run a team of developers and then ultimately to become mm. a CTO. Yes. Uh, but as my career's progressed as I've grown professionally. Obviously, software development is 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 everything and everywhere now. Mm. And um, I suppose as the industry's grown, I've I've taken the opportunity to grow with it. Brilliant, love it, and well done to you. You know, I, I love stories like this. Uh, personally, I come from uh, I started out flipping burgers at McDonald's, and, uh, and right. you know, so we, you know, it's great to hear kind of stories, different journeys, at different starting points. So coming to what Netcore do and what Matsoft were doing previously, this kind of low-code solution, I love this, and we've had some discussions offline around this. So describe what that looks like and the, and the benefit that it brings to organisations. Yeah, so we we really look at it as you know, conceptually at least it's um, like WordPresses for building a website. Mm. You know, we are the same, but for building business applications. So we we require you to have no deep technical understanding. You don't need to know HTML, CSS, JavaScript. You just need to know how to work web-based software through a browser. And if you can do that, you can build and deploy applications. Now. In the early days uh, at Matsoft, we didn't set out to design a low-code platform. Indeed, the term low-code wasn't even around at that point. This is yeah. something that, you know, Forrester came up with um, in the late 2000s. You know, Gartner referred to it as a uh, high-productivity application platform as a service. Right. Um, so we, we tend to market ourselves as low-code, which is less of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but the reality is we, we, we fell into it as well, to be honest. So we, we were building... Um, 
process management tools for, for banks and building societies. We built one for a, a building society called Market Harbour, um, where they wanted somebody to apply for a mortgage on their website, which again was brand new at the time. And the customer would fill in a load of information and then it would ultimately end up in the back office to be processed. And the Market Harbour said, look, you know, we've taken that application digitally. We'd like to sort of engage with the customer digitally through journey, keep them updated, and then ultimately um, tell them that the, the funds have been released. Um, and we don't want to do that via letters like we've traditionally done because they've applied digitally in the first place and therefore we should yeah. try and stick with that digital channel throughout. Mm. So we said, okay, well, what about if we on the application for the mortgage is done via a form on the website that ultimately creates a case within a system. We then send out text messages and emails every step of the process to the point at which the valuation on the house is done, the point at which they're confirmed as you know having the financial means to service the mortgage. Again, email and SMS go out. We'll keep them updated throughout. We'll give them a little web page they can go to at any point that tells them where they are within the process. And then we'll go start to finish digitally. And they said, mm. yeah, we love that. So we built this little system. They won a load of uh, customer service awards for, for delivering wow. this because it was new. You know, it sounds stupid now to think back, but at, at that point, this was, you know, bleeding edge. Wow. And um, we got on the radar of Nationwide Building Society who said, hold on a minute, how's this little upstart building society winning customer service awards over us? Mm. And, you know, we were an element of, of that success and they wanted something similar. So we started working with a number of building societies and banks with very similar solutions. And we realized that we could keep delivering, you know, individual bespoke solutions to all of these banks and societies. Um, but actually, as a business, that's not going to help us scale um, because we've then got to manage and maintain those individual solutions. And, you know, great, we'll scale, we'll win more business, but we'll have, you know, a, a bigger and bigger headache in terms of maintenance. Mm. And it was at this time, really, that the notion of a platform on the internet was really coming to fruition. And, you know, I'd joined from an organization previously that had done online payments via a platform. So I've got and had a sort of platform-based experience, if you like, in terms of how we could architect that, how it could be deployed. And I'm um, thankful to work with uh, a technical genius, uh, a guy called Tom Allender at the time, and me and Tom, both of whom are still with the business now, sort of engineered the notion of a platform from what was an individual code base. And that allowed us to onboard new customers to increase the, the functionality and the capability that we offered without having a separate code base for every one of those customers. Nice. And the notion of a, a low code platform was built. And when we started to market this and sell this, we got on the radar of the analyst community. So we spoke to Fox, spoke to Gartner about what we're doing. And there was a couple of other players in the market at that time. Some of them are still around now. And a whole new market segment was born, really, this low-code platform market that, you know, Forrester are now saying is worth, will be worth, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 billion, uh, wow. you know, a year annually based on based on which, uh, which metrics you look at. So mm. we, again, fell into the development of a, of a low-code platform, realized we were in a, a bit of a hot space, and decided to get involved with the analysts to understand what they saw as being required for this software genre and um, and built it out from there. Wow, fantastic. That's great. The thing that comes up for me is, is that you, you mentioned the stuff you were doing was cutting edge. You know, the word innovation comes straight to mind. And based on your journey and, and the, you know, living that and breathing it and getting the scars in the process, I guess, for tech leaders out there, what's the things that you need to have in place to have that innovation, to be able to pivot in the market and create that, that solution? 
it's, I was going to use that exact word, pivot. You've got to be flexible enough and open-minded enough to roll with the punches. Yes. You know, we, you know, there, there are you know, there's futurists out there, right, that can see three, five, ten years into the future and predict exactly what's Mm. The vast majority of us, if we're just can't do that. Therefore, mm. you need to be open-minded enough to receive information from your customers, from analysts, from the market more generally, and pivot. You know, yeah. if if it looks like the notion of a platform is the way to go, don't keep doing what you're doing. Have the confidence mm. in your own conviction to change. Um, and you know, you see this all the time. If, if you look at Elon Musk and people like that, they've all gone from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, based on an opportunity presenting itself. Yes. And I, I love the I love the Richard Branson story where you know about buying Necker Island. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Where he he saw the fact Necker Island was available for sale. He didn't have enough money. He wanted to impress the girl that he was dating at the time. He he got the estate agent flying there to show him around the island. And then when the price came up at the end, he said, you know, he didn't have that much money. And they mm. said, how much did you have? And he said, a quarter of what they were asking. And they said, no, sorry. Three days later, they rang him back up and said, yeah, we'll take a quarter. Oh, because wow. that was all he could afford and the, and the, the buyer was desperate to sell. Which Sorry, the seller was desperate to sell. So, yeah. you know, he rolled with the punches. He took a punt. He was in the right place at the right time and yeah, it ultimately man. worked for him. And I, I think that is so true. Most of the stories that I've read of peers, of mm. successful CTOs, of, you know, people that I might look to to, to get an understanding from or to maybe be a mentor to me, yeah. they've all pivoted when it was quiet and they, they had the courage of their convictions to do so. And I think if you don't do that, you risk going down a blind alley and, you know, ultimately dying with it. That's great advice. And also, you mentioned something quite interesting, intriguing, which was, you know, the, uh, receiving the information kind of with an open mind, you know, rather than having a, a particular lens that you keep looking through, you know, like market information or competitive information or, or maybe, you know, listening to information from the customers. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's all there. The information is there in the market, I guess. Definitely. And I think too many people are closed minded to it sometimes. I mean, I, um, I was reading up the other day about imposter syndrome where you know people are in a senior position and they they feel like they're imposter they're, they're an imposter they don't deserve it they, you know they're not qualified enough for it and i think a little element of that is no bad thing mm. and what i mean by that is i think it keeps you open-minded to other people's opinions comments concerns mm. and will potentially learn from them i think if you feel you've you've got everything nailed, you're an absolute genius, you know exactly what you're doing and, and you're so single-minded you won't take any input from others, mm. you're missing a trick. And, yes. you know, I, 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 I seek out opinion on everything we do from as many people as possible. I attend community events. I, I try and make myself uh, as open and as available as possible to customers, staff, uh, and so on because these guys are on the coalface. They, they know exactly what's required. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell them what I think they need. I want to hear it from them. And I'm going to then digest that. And I'm going to try and then come up with a way of us delivering what they need in a roadmap that's achievable, you know, within the context of the software that we have. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. And one of the things that we're talking about this, uh, you know, the, the, um, the great thing about low code and allowing people I guess kind of at the coalface, actually, the ones that know what the processes need to be, they may be very close to the customer, understand it. It kind of creates a solution in the right way. And it kind of allows the organization, you know, via this low-code platform to, to become, to innovate in their little environment as well. Exactly. So there's a couple of things there. One is it's getting 
what are high value staff that maybe don't have technical development skills and mm. embedding them into the delivery team that's going to push the solution. Brilliant. And that, that cuts out a massive element of, uh, or a massive gap between the subject matter experts at the front end and the delivery team at the back end. Yes. And of course, when you've got a gap like that, what do you get? You get confusion, you get interpretation, mm. all of which can lead to a divergence between what is actually needed and what ends up getting delivered. And yeah. you see it time and time again. You Google, you know, expensive IT failure. You'll get a million results and 99% of when you boil it down, it's where the, the development team hasn't delivered what the business required. And that's because they probably spent six months in a discovery process creating high-level and low-level documents, all of which contain interpretation and uh, you know, ultimately are difficult to fully understand at the point somebody is about to start tapping on that keyboard and writing the code that's going to deliver the capability. And you can cut all of that out by bringing those subject matter experts into development team. Yeah. Now, with traditional development, that's difficult because they don't know PHP.NET, MySQL, yeah. JavaScript, yeah. jQuery, whatever it might be. But when you are developing through a web UI, that is drag and drop WYSIWYG, mm. then once they've had the training, they can build solutions. And you know, certainly our ethos is we aim to be the easiest to use of the low-code platform because yes. I feel some of those platforms that are you know, our peers in the market have, have gone a little bit further away from what low-code platform always supposed to be, mm. which were tools that non-developers could use. Right. And yes. and as a result, you know, that you can't get those SME, those the subject matter experts involved in the same way. And we will always try to be the easiest to use to ensure that they can get involved and be part of a development team. And off the back of, you know, three days e-learning, which is our builder essentials course, and I'm mm. sure our competitors have something similar, you know, but off the back of three days training, somebody who has never developed a business app will be able to develop a business app. And they'll, in fact, they'll be given a brief um, to sort of go away. And I think it's current money is to build a support ticket system and they'll be validated and assessed off the back of that and they'll get their certificate. But they yeah. will be able to build a support ticket system off the back of three days training using our software. Brilliant. And, you know, that, that, I'm sure that's not just applicable to us. I'm sure there's others in the market that will claim similar. Mm. But for me, that's what a loco platform is. Yeah. And the benefit is you can involve those experts in that even if they're not developers. Excellent. Great. I love this idea of the uh, subject matter experts becoming techies and geekies like, you know, some of us are, you know, or have been in the past, you know. And, uh, we, we've got an example just to, to, to sort of solidify that. We've got a council we work with down on the South Coast in the UK and um, they had, they were building a, a bin solution. So you, has your bin been you know, broken or damaged? Do you need a replacement bin? Did your bins not get collected? All of those sort of traditional services you need to, um, to interact with citizens about. And they engaged one of their guys from their refuge team in the, the, the solution team that delivered this particular Excellent. business application. Yeah. And he showed a, a massive aptitude for it. It was brilliant. He did the training. He translated the requirements of the business into what you know solution needed to deliver. And once they'd done that, he then moved into that team full time. Yes. As, a, as part of his career progression. So he's now awesome. a software developer 
yeah. from council uh, having moved out of the refuge team. So, you know, that that shows. And, and what does that help us with? It helps us with the digital skill shortage they've got both in this country and globally. Mm. So if we can pick people from our business that have got an aptitude for IT, not software development necessarily, but just for IT, they're comfortable using a computer, maybe understand conceptually integration and APIs and, you know, anyone who's been through formal education in the last what, five, ten years has done an element of computer studies as part of that GCSE, A-level degree. You know, they've all got elements right. of that within their course. Then they can build on that and they can start to deploy business applications, even if they don't want to be a traditional developer. And that's that's massive, certainly for uh, organizations like Count that, that in reality aren't going to be able to compete on wages for tier software engineers. Um, you know, the, the salaries that engineers are, are capable of earning is increasing yes. significantly and, and certainly has done off the back of COVID now that everyone work remotely. Mm. So we're all competing for talent to build software solutions. And if councils mm. and similar can find people with the right aptitude, give them some training and involve them within their you know, delivery teams, that's mm. a massive win for yeah, it's fantastic. I, I kind of see a double whammy benefit here. You know, the developers that are needed, obviously needed in more kind of complex solution areas, and this kind of frees that up. Yeah, I just love this idea of democratizing the innovation into organizations exactly where it needs to be done. And one of the things that you mentioned offline, which is around less handoffs, there's less kind of handing off the problem or the solution, and it's the people actually doing it. And they can own it. That's the great thing about it. You know, the customer experience becomes well tuned to what actually is needed. Brilliant. And being a company, you know, you've been obviously uh, through the long journey of the of the previous company and now the new company that you're with, uh, Netcall. What are the growing pains that you've seen within organisations as they grow, and what are your tips around avoiding those pains to make it easier? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose I've been through two separate journeys. The, the first one with the, the payments company that I worked for was three of us, little back office. We grew that to acquisition, and it was about 20, 25 people at that point. So the jump between sort of say three to 2025 wasn't actually too bad we didn't we didn't find that was too difficult we, we found the people we needed the technical team was maybe half of the overall company um, so we had a core a core group that delivered it that worked closely together and we didn't we didn't struggle too much with that i think the bigger jump between so that that 25 to maybe 70 which is where we got to with mats off mm. where the the notion of having a process for absolutely everything becomes yeah um, when you when you're smaller you can get away with two or three key people that know everything they need to know and everything else could be built around that core when you get up to 70 people and certainly where we are now with 150 at netcore mm. you need processes for absolutely everything and and it can be some, you know, it can be frustrating sometimes to have to document everything you do and, and write out processes for everything that the business does but you know, it's, a, it's it's fundamental because the answer to any question within your organization can't be go and speak to them, go and speak to Paul, go and speak to Bob. That mm. can't be the case because those, those guys could go at any point for any reason and yeah. the business has to continue. And therefore, you've got to have a robust plan in place for losing any member of your team overnight. Yeah. You know, they could get run over by a bus, God forbid, and you have to still service your customer the next yes. day. Yeah. And, and you know and for the business that has to be the key driver i know on a personal level you don't want to lose a colleague of course you don't but for, for your customers they need to know that your business is robust enough to deal with losing any one person over. And, and you know certainly we're, we're iso certified and again for iso 9001 27001 
again, process, process, process. Everything has to be a process and anyone has to know where to find that process and anyone has to be able to pick that process up. And with the right technical skills, obviously, they have to be able to deliver that process. And yes. therefore, you're never tied to losing an individual or you know, a number of individuals. Yeah, and that's great. I kind of appreciate this from personal experience as well. You know, when process is coming, you feel like you've been hamstrung and uh, that kind of fluidness of doing stuff uh, gets diminished a little bit. But uh, the transition when you went from 25 to 70 and the processes needed to come in, how did you kind of handle selling that to the organisation? Because I imagine the culture has to shift with that as well. Yeah, I suppose I was lucky at the time in that it wasn't just the technical processes that needed to be done. We had to do everything, sales processes, operational processes, you know, the whole business matured very quickly. And that was off the back of winning a couple of really key enterprise customers. And we were probably lucky that they were willing to work with us to help us mature the business. So I, I think now, you know, even early stage startup SaaS software organizations are expected to 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 have a level of maturity that we probably didn't have at that to be honest mm. um and you know the likes of nationwide and, and vodafone who are a key partner of ours at that point sort of helped us mature grew with us over two or three years brilliant got us to the point where we were ready to service enterprise level customers and they did that because they really wanted the software that we had and there wasn't really probably a viable alternative to us at the time certainly not based in the uk and certainly not one that was willing to pivot the functions and features that we were offering to meet their specific requirements. So, you know, it was a quid pro quo, really. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. They were getting an organization that was, you know, delivering what they wanted. And we were getting support and the time to, to mature our organization. And they were, they were giving us that. They were willing to work with us and sort of buy us the time to do that. So, you know, over the stage of really two or three years, at the start of 2010, around that time, we matured organization very quickly. We trebled in size and we managed to really keep, one, the success going, but two, we matured without bogging ourselves down in process as well. You, know, you can you can slow yourself right up if you're not careful. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but handbrake. We managed yeah. to sort of keep that agility going without putting the handbrake up. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it gave us then a platform over the following two or three years to grow revenues to the point where we, we became attractive organization like, like Net to acquire. You know, we built up a customer base and a technical product and a, and a technical position within a, an analyst landscape that was attractive to them. Um, and, um, and that ultimately led to, to the acquisition. Um, like I say, Netcall at that point were about 180 people, I think. We, we added 70, we became a 250-person organization and then went through the process again of, of solidifying that, maturing some of our, our processes, bringing those two organizations together, um, you know, based on a slightly differing set of operational processes and a couple of different technical stacks and yet brought them together under a common banner that allowed our, our customer base to use them uh, in harmony use any element of that platform in harmony yeah and um, and yeah we've obviously won some big names off the back of that and um and really i suppose in terms of an acquisition that's been very successful to the point where it allowed us to then a couple of years ago go and acquire another organization automagica that had some process automation technology and again embed that into the liberty platform seamlessly 
Brilliant. That's great. So Richard, as we come towards the closing arc of the podcast, what's your advice based on your journey to aspiring tech leaders? Um, so I've mentioned it once before, but you have to keep learning. I mean, technology moves on at such a pace um, that if you want to be a, a technical CTO, and there are, there are different types of CTOs, admittedly, but if you want to be a technical CTO, you have to keep current. And, uh, you know, that doesn't need to be that sort of erroneous, really. Um, there are tools out there like Udemy, for example, you know, the online uh, course content website that have, you know, multiple courses for every technology genre you could possibly imagine. So, you know, look at them, read the reviews, pick the right courses mm. um, to to ensure that you've got a level of understanding that you need based on what you're trying to achieve. So I, I always ensure that at an absolute minimum for every technology that we bring into the organization, bring into our software, I've got a high level understanding. Of. Mm -hmm. But I want to ensure that I can have a, a, a proficient, technically proficient conversation with the guys that are mm -hmm. and challenge them on the design choices that they're making. But Fantastic. know that I haven't ultimately got the hours in my day to then get involved at a level beyond that. So I, I try and keep myself current. Um, I try and I try and read, um, you know, books um, where I can. And a lot of those books are are probably one of two genres. One would be um, people that I might consider, you know, a mentor to me. So I mentioned Branson or Musk, there's two. They're not mm. obviously a direct mentor to me, but just the lessons they've learned, the approaches they've taken, the path that they've trodden. And I also like um, futurology books. And I, I, I was fortunate to go to a, a presentation that one of the investors in our Matsoft's organization held uh, a VC firm called Beringia. They put a day on for all of the firms that they'd invested in and they brought all of the, the technical leaders together. And it was big networking, but they, they had a few geologists and I can't recall his name now, annoyingly, but I'll try and dig it out for you. Um, and he presented at this event and it was it was just brilliant the way he was looking three five ten years in advance and he was um sort of stating what he felt would happen in terms of things like solar energy and um cryptocurrencies and a, a load of these sort of future technology states that would occur mm. and then he was bringing them back in terms of how you could implement a three and a five-year strategy for your business that would ensure you were walking towards the right destination so i try and read books just tell it you know give me an indication of what might be coming and then like i say couple that with mentors that are showing me how to achieve success now mm. and uh, i hope that those two things will set me in good stead for for my medium to long-term future fantastic that's great this this is a bit i love doing actually I, i'm going to be a tech genie for a second i'm going to offer you a tech wish for your tech leadership or your industry or something that really bugs you in the, the tech world that you reside in what would your wish be um well that's a great question so uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say, can I have uh, three more wishes? Yeah. As, as everyone says when they get a wish. Um, but I, I think I've done quite a lot um, in education and what we need to do as a country uh, to ensure that we're fit for purpose in the front. So I'm on, I'm on the board of my local university for one of the uh, 
one of the courses that they're doing. So we've got a new university being spun up in Milton Keynes, which is near my home. And, um, you know, I'm on the board there trying to advise them on what industry needs from computer courses mm. to ensure that the next generation of graduates are fit for purpose. And I've, I've taken it a step back even yes. from there. And I've, I've worked with some uh, younger in, you know, organisations that work with younger children as well, again, about how we need to embed digital into the uh, curriculum from an early age because we've lagged behind that UK you know mm. uh, the reason we've we recruited the developers from Eastern Europe that we did is I think you know Poland Lithuania Bulgaria Latvia East Estonia they got digital earlier than we did they brought it into their education curriculum earlier and yeah. they were therefore graduating for engineers three five years earlier than where we were and it's wow. those engineers now that are the lead devs within our team mm. and they've had a head start uh, we've done quite a lot with a couple of educational from the uk um there was uh, a program that was run um uh, that again was to encourage youngsters to get into coding called coding week uh, yeah. we sponsored that we Brilliant. offered some free training courses uh, we advertised it you know i i did this podcast on it tried to promote it right. um, so my one wish would be we get in the uk uh, educational curriculum right in terms of digital in terms of uh, you know of computing more generally mm. so that we breed the next generation of technical individuals that can underpin our economy um, and that you know that the, for them personally gives them a great start in life because nothing you know digital touches absolutely everything now there's very little they can do mm. uh, that doesn't have you know a, a technical element to it yeah. So as a fellow Brit, I'm going to make sure that wish comes true, because I think what you said there is absolutely fantastic. You know, we universities do need to be fit for purpose and delivering the needs of, of industry. It's their role to kind of deliver what the industry needs. So as we come to the full stop of our podcast and our time together, Rich, uh, what's your final key takeaway that you'd like to offer the tech leaders, the tech leader men and women out there? Oh, final takeaway. Um, I suppose I'd be repeating myself to some extent, but just just keep open-minded, keep learning, take as much input from as many sources as possible, books, TED Talks, uh, online courses, um, and there's there's a, a whole range of uh, online presentations and conferences and things like that now as well, and digest all of that uh, and distill it to to ensure that what you're doing whatever you know whether you're building software as a cto or whatever your cto might be um, you know, utilize all of that that's available to you mm. and uh, and ensure then that your short-term and long-term roadmaps align with where where it appears the future is brilliant a great note to finish on rich it's been wonderful having you on cto confessions and thank you for the tips for our tech leaders out there sir no problem at all well that was a great conversation Thank you for your time, Richard. I'm glad you mentioned your passion around getting education systems tuned up to the nation's engine of productivity and innovation. It's so important. I'm fully with you on that. So thank you again for your time. And I look forward to seeing the low-code, no-code ways of working being ever more present in the world of business. Good luck to you, your teams, and the great work that Netcall are doing. And finally... Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. 
we are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.